the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 194 for March uh, 9th, 2009. So that's 3909. There's nothing special. Dave, you know, actually, there was a very special day. There was. It was. So you touched on it, but it was. Yes. Square day. It was. Yes. 030309, three squared. And the next will come 040416, which I think will be around. I think so. I I hope so. (laughs) Uh, But then there's also, I'm sorry, wait. And and the last one, what is today? The the ninth? Pi day is coming up, which, as you know, pi is 3.4155. Two six five, yeah, we'll we'll stop there because yeah. it goes on forever. But Pi Day is March fourteenth, so have some pie on Pi Day. Oh, uh, I, I no, I know my my mathematician yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah, actually sure. They, they call that Pi Day. That's right. That's right. But that happens. P i p i e. You get it. Yes. Okay. Get it. Lame. Get it. Move on. That's okay. Unless you live in Europe, in which case it's April thirty first. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's true. Actually, that's interesting. That's right. It's it's Go. Pi Day only in America. But today is Mac Geek Up number one ninety four day. And uh, greetings, folks. How are you? Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff, John. We've got uh, some airport things, some upgrades, some full hard drives to talk about. Uh, you know, we might not get to talk next week, John. Uh, I'm going to be down in Austin for South by Southwest. I'm flying down Saturday, flying back the following Sunday, like a Sunday week. Mm. Um, and because we've sort of spread our staff around and, and Tony is no longer working with the company, we don't have as many people in Austin as we did before. Uh, so we're actually closing down the Austin office. I don't know if I will have the opportunity to podcast from the office next week. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there'll be any furniture left in there by that point. So mm-hmm. um, and, and bandwidth at the hotel has always been kind of funky. So we'll just have to kind of wing it and, and see where we both are. Wing it. And take it from there. So if you don't see a show from us next week, folks, uh, that's why either that or, you know, someone has uh, kidnapped us. Uh, so if we'll be Twittering, though, I, I'll certainly be Twittering from South by South. Oh, cool. So, yeah. OK. Assume, so, um, assume I haven't been kidnapped if I'm if I'm still Twittering. All is, and all assume uh, my earphones work. I almost had a near catastrophe. I was setting up for the show and one of the channels on my my earphones busted. Oh, but fortunately, because we all get all sorts of goodies at Macworld. Uh, can I talk about the atomic base? Uh, talk about phones sure, here from course. Radius products. Well, that's what I got here. It was actually someone I met outside of the show. I was standing there and he looked at my badge and he's like, oh, you're media. And he's like, hey, we got these cool earphones. You want to try them out? I'm like, sure. So that is what I'm using right now um, from. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with them. They advertise like massive bass, which I really don't think we're doing a lot of on the podcast. Uh, no, we, we try to tune a lot of the low end out. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's also a set here, which I guess you need a special magic plug for the iPhone 3G. So anyways, um, check no, these guys out. I'm happy. Probably, probably I'm, for the original uh, iPhone, you need the special magic plug. The 3G yes. is totally free and clear of all all that tomfoolery. But the original huh. iPhone, iPhone needed the... Um, well, it had, it had a recessed, uh, the original iPhone had a recessed headphone jack. So unless your uh, earphones had a very narrow sleeve or casing for the Mini 8 jack, uh, they would not fit okay. all the way in. So all right, I'm just looking, I'm looking. Ahead, Pete. Yep. 
Yeah, I have the uh, I have the uh, first gen iPhone, and rather than drive myself silly looking for a pair of headphones every time I need to replace them, uh, I just buy any standard set of headphones with the on eighth inch jack and take a straight razor blade and cut about a sixteenth of an inch off, and it fits right down in there. Ah, slick. All right, so there you go. Yeah. Okay, Be I do believe. I know why they have a rear jack on here, because I see four contacts on it. Apparently, these also have a microphone. So ah. That would explain the four connect. I'm seeing here they have click to talk, so I'm going to assume that this has a, a microphone buried in it somewhere. Oh. I haven't opened the box yet, because I don't have an iPhone. Right, right. Well, and next time we're touch. together, we should yeah. try it with my phone, and, uh, and we can report on right. that part of it, too. So an unintentional plug, but hey, thanks guys. That they were um, That's great. available, and they, and they sound great. They were able to... The, the one thing I like... I was able to get them in my ear and not like have to figure out what contortions I had to make in order to get them in my ear. So, oh, but that's half the fun. No, <laughs> no with some, especially, and I got to say, the Apple ones. A lot of times, I, I, I just, it. I don't like the Apple, especially the disc ones. You know, I think they've evolved past that, haven't they? With well, the, not really, but sort of. No, they still yeah. give you the disc ones as a default with most iPods so. and stuff. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you have to buy the inner. Yeah. On your own. Okay. Moving on. Moving on to what? Do we want to talk about the last Tuesday? So we recorded the show on Monday night, and uh, yes. I'm going totally off book here, but you can't possibly be surprised by this um, because I'm 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 like half looped out here from from this head cold that I have. Um, hmm. On Tuesday morning, Apple basically revamped their entire product line. Were you they aware did. of this, John? Absolutely, they okay, had good. the uh, the shutdown and the start, and and yeah, so I I think they updated three. Uh, three and a half. I don't know. Go, go on. Well, they, they updated, yeah, the Mac Mini, the Mac Pro, the iMac, and they speed bumped the uh, the MacBook Pro, correct? Which to me is the half. That's the yeah, half. That's not that. really a new... Right. Uh, because some of the others, and, and, you know, we can bounce it back and forth, but I looked in it, and, you know, especially like the iMac, there is a... Because actually one of our followers actually asked me, should I get an old refurb or get a new one? And I'm like, well, you know, let me look at the specs between the two. And at least for the iMac, it seems that there's enough of a difference where I think I'd lean towards the newer machine. Okay. What, what, what are the differences there that would make you lean toward that? Well, I think it was faster uh, off the top of my head. I don't have my notes in front of me, but okay. I think it was faster RAM, faster VRAM. Um, I don't know if it had a faster bus. It had a different assortment of ports, but, but I think the, the RAM and the VRAM... Uh, or the video chips that were different enough between the, the the models that he was looking at, which was the twenty inch, and and sometimes there's a yep. you know difference when you go from the twenty to the twenty four inch. But at least his question was, should I get the old twenty inch or the new twenty inch? And in my opinion, looking at the two, and and I think also you get six gigs maximum on the new one versus four on the other. So I think it was faster RAM, more RAM, and different video hardware. Which I think the difference was only two hundred bucks. So. Right. In okay. that case, uh, to me, it, it, it'd be worth paying the extra couple of hundred bucks to get the latest versus the other uh, reefer. Cool. But what did you notice? Uh, anything notable, you know, among the other products there that you, uh, you oh. picked up? Oh, well, I have one on the desktop, but I'll bounce it to you. Oh, well, you know, the, the new Mac Mini, uh, that's starting to get to be a real contender in the desktop space. I mean, it's got, what, five, uh, five uh, USB ports on it now, which... Seems crazy, but very handy, especially if you're going to start using this thing as sort of a, you know, that 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 digital media hub, uh, as it were. But uh, but yeah, it's it's, you know, now it's got uh, what, two gigahertz core, core two duo in it and you can mm -hmm. put up to four gigs of RAM at at um, 
Uh-huh. At, at the bus goes at, uh, at one gigahertz, right? I think now in the Mac Mini, which is, you know, makes it a real contender. 320 gig hard drive, um, FireWire 800 in there now. So but the big, but the big feature. Yep. So I was I was watching. Uh, yes, I was uh, being a, a, a obsessive on Twitter. Anyways, I'll just spit it out. Yeah. So. Our, our friend Peter, you know Peter, yes. over at Macworld, yep. did an article recently. I don't know if we uh, uh, linked to it. Did we? Maybe we did. But anyways, uh, he had a comment on the worthiness of the latest machine. Uh, as far as a gaming machine, I'm looking right here on the product description, and I think part of his feedback was, hey, uh, the graphics are decent now. So Apple claims it's up to five times faster. Well, up to, okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I think his conclusion was with this bump in the in the graphic chipset versus the uh, the oh, older one. Yeah, it used so to now have it's that, Nvidia. Now it's got Nvidia. It used to have that that crummy old Intel uh, onboard you know shared, throwaway graphics. Yeah, yeah, shared thing. So so I think uh, Peter's conclusion, will link to his you know uh, opinion, was that this is may uh, I think you know he's getting thirty frames a second or, or twenty or something frames a second in things like Call of Duty 4 and all that. So it sounds like a, a more viable gaming machine. Of course, if you want to go crazy, you get the the Mac Pro with the, you know, eight cores and, you know, super graphics. But it sounds like they've bumped it up enough so this is a viable machine for for uh, basic gaming. Right. I, I think, just to, uh, just to be clear, I'm pretty sure this NVIDIA chipset in the new Mac Mini shares... Uh, RAM with the system. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's it does, still but, integrated, but but I think it does something different in that it's not such a dog. Correct. So. Yeah, it's a well, and the, and remember the RAM now is running at uh, what is it? Like I said, it's almost a gigahertz or maybe even a little bit over. So yeah, yeah. And the place to get all this info, um, let me see off the top of my head, support.apple.com/specs right. is where you get the down and dirty on pretty much. I think I looked the other day, and they actually still have, if you go back to the first page, specs on the uh, Mac 128, believe it or not. There you go. Wow. Really? That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Support.apple.com? Slash specs. Specs. Check it out. Hey, look at that. I didn't know you could do that. Now you do. Boy, that's why you, you know, listen to me. It is why I listen to you. <laughs> that, that's it, folks. There it is. Show, John. That's worth the price of admission right there. That's so cool. handy. But they don't oh. kindly advertise it, but it, it, it's always been there. As far as I know, it may change a couple of times, but they, they go into pretty deep detail. So actually, that's what I did when, when the question was posed iPods, to me. Is I, airport Expresses, all, Airport Extremes, X-Serves, everything's out here. And I think if you go back far enough, again, you'll find the first uh, basic specs, probably not <laughs> in great detail. So yeah. check it out. It, it's a fun journey on its own. It is. I, if you, you don't want you run to run the show, to, you guys run the show. I'm just going to kind of pour around here and <laughs> read about the Laser Writer 8500 and the Newton. Isn't that great? Yeah. Oh, the, 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 you could spend a day, especially if you're a you know Apple fan of uh, you know from years past. Looking through this thing will bring out all sorts of fun and maybe not so fun memories about the crazy things Apple did in the early days. There so. are 484 items listed here. Boy, this is like, you know, ADD Central right here. It's this a treasure trove. Yeah. Okay, I need to seeing, close this window, otherwise yeah, close I'm going to pay attention to the show. And we should probably get to our first question. Oh, should we? Pete, you think Pete so? reminded us we should probably answer yeah. these. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so Lou wrote in a couple of weeks ago, and he asked, and it was a question we didn't wind up getting to, but uh, I, I 
I responded to him individually and we kind of had a back and forth. But uh, let's see. Lou writes, uh, blah, blah, blah. I purchased a new Airport Express before leaving for two months in Florida. I set its parameters before leaving home using settings I found online. Upon arrival at Disney's old Key West Resort, it became quite clear that the parameters I set were not working. We have free Ethernet in our hotel room, but my desire for Wi-Fi access for my iPhone is not working out. Since I left my MacBook Pro at home, I brought the Airport Express to a local Apple store for help. They tried their best to set up the Express, but yet again, no joy. Uh and and then he goes on to to ask, you know, do we know the magic settings for Disney? And and I don't. I, I've I've only been at Disney once in recent I past. I don't think. But, well, but I was there. It's, it's any general hotel. I I just took the assumption, right, that it's you know it, like any hotel. And so, I I I talked to him and said, okay, uh, does your iPhone see the Airport Express? And if so, what IP address does it get? Uh, and he wrote and he said uh, that he was able to connect to the airport express, but was not getting an IP address from it. And so I told him, well, reset the router to its factory defaults. Now, you know, it would have been nice for me to send him a link to how to do this, but I didn't, he, he discovered how to do this on his own and more power to him. The poor guy from his iPhone, probably over three G. Uh, but he, he, he did that. He reset it. And all well, the was way well. to do it, to, yeah, go to ahead. Re- yeah. but I think on most of these, the way to redo it, or to reset is, or at least with my Express, you plug it in while holding in the reset button, which is usually has a little icon near it, and it looks like you should put a pen or pencil in there, which is exactly what you do. You hold that in, I think, usually when you plug it in, and you wait, you know, 15 to 30 seconds, and eventually the, the light will blink. This is just my very quick recollection of what these usually do okay and then once you do that then if you run airport utility it'll come up as like apple airport and part of the mac address of the and, and then you connect to it and you you reconfigure it but um we'll i'll find an article but to give you my, i think what i said is kind of on the mark okay for some of them but um yeah usually it involves holding the button in for for quite a long time until the light blinks and then that means i'm in a you know, neutral or restart state for this amount of time. And then I think it'll, it'll revert. So. Hmm. Well, he didn't have a MacBook pro. So somehow he was able to reset to factory defaults without oh. uh, connecting. You know, he, he just got it back to normal mode and sure enough, it connected to the Wi-Fi network or to the ethernet network. There grabbed an IP address from the ethernet network, started distributing it. And he was able to connect with his iPhone. Now, presumably, his router has no password on it because it's in default mode and he has no way of changing that, uh, though. I'm sure he could take it to the Apple store and have them tweak his settings. But uh, but he was able to connect with his iPhone. So so that's a that's a good uh, just in, in general, if you're at a hotel and you're using the Airport Express trick to get multiple devices online or even just to get your one Wi-Fi only device online, uh, setting it to its defaults, let it get an IP address from the network over Ethernet with DHCP and then share it in normal, you know, network address translation mode, which is NAT, NAT, normal standard mode. That's uh, in most cases, that's going to do it for a hotel. Now, what might happen 
is the first time you connect your iPhone to it, you might have to open a web browser on the iPhone before you can do email or anything else on the network and authenticate yourself on the network. Now, he's got a free connection, but even with some of those free connections from hotels, you've got to go through a web page that uh, you, you agree to their terms of service and say, I'm not going to try and you know, use this connection to hack uh, you know, computers or do anything else illegal. And, mm. uh, and then it works just fine. Yeah, and usually you know you're in good shape because the uh, Airport Express has a little light on the front. If it's yellow, that means I'm trying to do something. When it's cool. green, that means I got an IP address. Come on in. Got so, it. So if you see a green oh, light on your Airport Express, I mean, they, they did this way. You can change the behavior of the light, but typically, to me, that's been it. I plug it in. I sit there. I wait. Sometimes it takes a minute or two because, you know, it's just kind of wrestling with whatever network it's talking to but a green light means i i think i'm on a network and try to connect to me cool so. all right i'm gonna i'm gonna take a detour here john um whoa one uh, because we haven't taken enough of those already off of our agenda um you know if we, we didn't tell people that we went took detours off the agenda they would never know so i'm just gonna stop doing that uh this is on the agenda folks we're back on the agenda on the iphone uh one of the coolest apps that I've found recently, well, there's quite a few, but one that I that I've found very handy is at home on my Mac uh, or if I'm in a hotel or anywhere and I want to see what kind of connection I have. I go to speedtest.net. Well, uh, speedtest.net has an iPhone app now that lets you test your speeds and it's free. You, you can go download it in the app store and put it on your phone. You can either do it you know, via the app store on the phone or on your computer. And uh, and then once it's on there, you can test and it knows whether you're on a wireless network or, you know, the 3G. And the 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 one thing you have to remember is that the Wi-Fi signal in the iPhone is an 802.11G signal, which is in theory limited to, uh, you know, 54 megabits. But it never really goes that fast. Uh, but uh, but that's the. Uh, that's the speeds and uh, and you can you can test that out. So, you know, if you're at home and and you've got, you know, some 15 megabyte uh, megabit connection, uh, it's not going to go that fast, um, mm-hmm. you know, or it may. But uh, but, you know, depending on how far you are from your access point, but it is worth checking out. So have you checked that out on your touch yet, John? No. OK, well, it's fun. It's, I have a, a utility, maybe this one. I don't know what, what I checked out recently. Boy, we're just. It's called Discover. It's a little utility you put on your iPhone or your iPod Touch. Through Wi-Fi, it offers a web server where you can upload files to your machine. And then when you upload them to your machine, in this case being an iPhone or iPod Touch, you can then use the built-in capabilities of the device to view the file. So it basically makes your iPhone or iPod Touch a big old flash drive with the ability to view PDF, Word, uh, PowerPoint, what else? A few other things that are built in. Because normally you can only do it through email. So it's called Discover, and we'll link to it. I found, But the coolest part uh, to me is that it'll come up and say, okay, aim your web browser at this IP address, assuming that you get a valid IP address off your wireless network, at least in the case of the touch, that's the only way you can do it. Um, you all of a sudden encounter this interface that's graphical through your web browser. Huh. And you can either browse the files or drag them to a window and upload them, and the speeds are pretty zippy. So it, it came up... Um, yeah, in a recent discussion where somebody was like, is there a way to do this? And and this is the best app I've seen. And no, this is not the <laughs> iPhone podcast, but it's linked to the Mac because it, it, it is a way for your computer, whether it be Mac or PC, to link to a, uh, you know, Apple uh, iPhone or iPod Touch and use it as a file storage and display device. 
Cool. And I think you can get a video display cable, can't you, Dave, for the yeah. iPhone or iPod yeah. Touch? Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll look into that. Because yeah. then I assume you could use it, you know, at, at whatever resolution to actually do a slideshow. I wouldn't make that assumption unless it's built into the app. Because right. each app has, yeah. on the iPhone, each app has its own data store that is not mm-hmm. shared. So, yep. uh, you know, the... the the iPod app, if you will, won't won't have access to whatever this Discover app has. So, mm. uh, okay. but the Discover app may tie into the video player framework that's in the iPhone. It, it's all very mm. convoluted, but uh, and yet straightforward at the same time. So, speaking of convoluted, let's get back on track here. All right. So Ken writes, "We're back on back on the airport thing." I have been plagued by seemingly random, but we all know that's not true, Wi-Fi reliability issues over the past several months. In a nutshell, my airport base station with WPA2 personal security bandwidth slows to a crawl 0.1 to 0.5 kilobytes per second during up and downloads. Many web pages will produce a timeout error in Firefox. Others will not even load. The server cannot be found. Errors, etc. Sometime uh, several or tens of minutes Afterwards, I will regain full bandwidth, stop my cursing and move on. This has been happening more and more as of late on all my devices, two MacBooks and two iPhones. Uh, Troubleshooting. And he he says that he has gone through uh, swapping out the airport base station for a Linksys WRT 54G again with WPA2 personal uh, enabled. Uh, problem still occurs when resetting the cable modem, resetting the routers. Doesn't matter what web, web browser. Obviously, it doesn't matter which computer he's using. Uh, tried using different DNS servers. Tried changing the MTU or the max, maximum transmissible unit. Uh, problem does not occur, occur when the computers are connected to either router via Ethernet. Problem does not occur when disabling Wi-Fi encryption. Uh, problem returns mm. upon enabling Wi-Fi encryption. After a lengthy, lengthy discussion with a friend, we believe the issue might be related to the uh, MTU and packet throttling and all that. And I'm just going to stop right there because I don't believe it has no. anything to do with the encryption I itself. Agree. Okay, good. I agree. I think it's a coincidence. Well, this happens. I, I think it's more than a coincidence. I, I, given all of the other factors remaining consistent, which they are, I think the encryption highlights a problem that's existing. And and I'm going to go off book a little bit here, John. Yeah, so uh, WPA2 encryption and and we can you know, we can put a, a link to the Wikipedia page for this. But, um, you know, so WPA2 encryption uh, uses is is chattier than non encryption. Right. Because uh, because it's got to encrypt the packets and there's got to be a handshake that goes back and forth. And I I believe that that's how it it does its thing. Well, Uh, a key rotation, too. And that's that's another thing where you can set the amount of time. Right. Where it says, all right, let's change the uh, one of the keys that we're using to talk to each other. So the evil hackers will be befuddled. And you don't do that too often. So I couldn't view that as a reason for, you know, massive amounts of extra traffic. Though I suppose if it's not set up right, that could be a cause. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where everybody's saying, okay, here's a key. Okay. Here's a key. Here's a key. Uh, you, to really get down to it and uh, then we'll get back on track. A little tangent, but get something like Wireshark. Yep. Uh, if there's a lot of traffic that, 
shouldn't be there, Wireshark or uh, Wireshark is probably the best utility for you to look at that. So if you if if you're just sitting there doing nothing, you see all this traffic flying back and forth. It's probably traffic between your computer and, and a base station, and and they're just not getting along. But but that's uh, I, I would say one of the ways to see if that's even happening. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call. Uh, but my guess is that there there is other traffic happening and that traffic is from another local base station. As uh, we've talked about, Wi-Fi base stations in the uh, 802.11B or G range have 11 different channels that they can use. Kind and, of. Yes, kind of. That's right. Um, really, there's only about three distinct channels because they all sort of overlap each other. But right. they run one through 11 is how they're numbered. And I believe by default, you're going to be using channel number six. And so will everyone else. So my guess is that you've got someone that moved in close to you a couple of months ago and turned on their airport or other wireless base station on channel six. And that's what's causing the problem. And I, I looked through, I didn't see any um, indication that you had tried changing the channel. Now, maybe you have and maybe it's not related. But I, I really believe when I started reading this, it sounded so much like channel conflict. So the yeah. trick is go into the airport, right, John, or the Linksys base station, the Linksys you'd go with a uh, web browser, the airport you use, the utility, and change the channel to either 1 or 11 and uh, and, you know, then you got to restart the station to have it come up on the yeah. new channel. Now, you know, so another part of this is if I want to see who is near me. Now, you can usually with a, a Wi-Fi equipped Mac, you can go to the airport menu and you'll see who's near you. But you probably won't get a lot of detail. Right. Um, I think iStumbler is an excellent utility to do this sort of thing. iStumbler will show you. Here's the base name. Here's the frequency. Here's the channel. Here's this. Here's that. So if you see a whole bunch of people, you know, you got the new neighbors and they're all having on channel one or six or 11 or some other channel, I would just statistically look through, you know, probably rate it by signal strength because they usually sort by that either or noise, which is kind of related to signal strength. But you look at the list, you see what there's the most of closest to you and pick anything else. And also the microwave. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or a cordless phone, you know. Well, at least on 2.4. On 2.4. Or actually, no, I'm sorry, on 5 also. They have 5 phones now, right? right. 5 gig phones? Right, that's right. Mine's still, well, I'm old school. I still have a 900 megahertz phone. Yep, and baby monitors. That's right, Pete. Yeah, yeah that's Pete right. pointed out, and yes, and I fondly remember the old baby monitors because... You know, now that you mention these other things, it may not be another airport base station because another airport or, or Wi-Fi base station... And we've got to get to our, one of our. We've got two sponsors to fit into the show tonight, and uh, and I haven't paced. Go. I haven't paced it well, but we got to have so much fun. We got to talk about this here. So, um, yeah. you know, another another wireless base station is going to be consistent for its channel, right? If it's set to six, it, by golly, it's going to stay on six, and so it would. You oh. could assume that it's going to, you know, interfere with your network. Similarly, all consistently, whereas well, I don't, a baby I don't know. monitor, well, a baby monitor or a phone, those things jump all over and they aren't always well, communicating. I'll, I'll differ with you because okay. I see, at least in some of the Apple utilities, the channel is automatic. But that's to me, that implies some sort of intelligence. Well, 
Yes, except that it tries to set it when it starts up and right. never at oh, any okay. other time. So okay, it's not go. it's not constantly moving. Um, but uh, yeah, I it, I wonder if it's a baby monitor or something that's constantly changing channels. In in which case, you know, pick one at the end and hope for the best because the the way it works is um, channel number one. Um, it, it think of the channel number and I, I, I always put my hands together in a pyramid when I discuss this because the channel number is really the focal <laughs> point, but, but the, the data spills into the channels next to it. So it, and I'm, I'm, you know, kind of rounding here, but, but if you're on channel one, really your base station is talking from say channel negative three to channel positive three. Right. Mm. And then if you're on channel two, you're at negative two to positive four. And so you've got this moving thing. So if you're on channel number six, you're talking from three to nine, whereas moving it all the way to one or all the way to 11 kind of gets you outside of the range of everything else. Uh, so that that might help you beat those baby monitors. And Pete, you said uh, that there's that checkbox, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Interference robustness on the uh, airport extremes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which uh, held me for a little bit, but then I finally had to change phone. Yeah, I think it, it changes the 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 period or something of the, the signal, so it's okay. less likely to interfere with a, a microwave oven, which has a pretty well-known uh, method of operation. And to close it out, you can also go to console and look at, I think, usually the wireless interfaces EN1. Okay. Right? Uh, so if you, uh, sure. So if you look in the console, if there are any weird things happening, I'm looking at mine right now, and it, and it has, you know, interface up, interface down. I'm looking for these channels, this, that. The console, if you search for EN1, which is the, the Unix name for the Ethernet port, or one of them, which in this case is the wireless port, um, you may see some messages indicating, you know, I'm sick of this channel. There's too much noise. I'm going to try something else. So just another thing to try. And I think with that, Dave, we've we really got to get to... Sponsor number one, which is yes. Audible. We told you they'd be back. They said they'd be back. They're back. Yeah. Uh, AudiblePodcast.com slash MacGeekGab is the link that uh, that you all can go to. And you get, when you go there, you have the opportunity to sign up for a two-week free trial of Audible Listener Gold. And you get one free audiobook to download. Now, uh, we're going to give you a book suggestion in a minute here. But I do want to note, whatever you download from them... If you cancel your trial in that two-week period, you pay them nothing, and you keep your book. So very important to note. But uh, but of course they hope, and and we hope too, that you enjoy the service so much that uh, that you decide to stick on board, and and that's good for them. And frankly, what's good for our sponsors is good for us. I mean, there's there's no real yes. no real secret there. So uh, so audiblepodcast.com/slash MacGeekGab. That gets you there. That gets you the two-week free trial. It gets the book. It gets us credit for sending you there, which is a good thing. Uh, and John, you, you, I believe you've come up with a, a book suggestion. It's been a long time, so you've had lots and lots of time to, to think about this. And I know I you have. spend every waking hour doing so. <laughs> you told me about it this morning. Was so it anyways, this morning or was it this afternoon? This afternoon. <laughs> okay. Yes. I want to be technically correct. So it's actually a book that I'm rereading and, and – um, it's the Sword of Shannara by Terry Brooks. Now, Terry Brooks uh, wrote thing, and especially Sword of Shannara is kind of in the vein of Lord of the Rings, and actually a lot of those hardcore Lord of the Rings people shake their fists because they say he ripped them off, but I don't think so. It was actually, I was exposed to this before that, and it's a story, it, 
kind of like that you know you got somebody in you know who didn't expect to be a hero being approached by some unknown wizard type of guy and they go on a a great quest that has a lot of different races it has you know gnomes and elves and trolls and all that great stuff it sounds so, like um, you ripped off tolkien it probably did okay. <laughs> but but, but I, so I got to this else. before uh, i mean so oh, did, come so on did gary, so did gary gygax and we love him yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Come on, I mean it's a similar vein. People love it. So, and and I think people probably before Tolkien came up with stories about dragons and knights and and, and all this stuff. But anyways, yeah. it's a yeah, story. But Tolkien, I grew up- Tolkien wrote Elvish. Okay, well, then he gets points. <laughs> okay. but anyway, so Terry Brooks, Sword of Shannara. It's a story. I'm actually rereading it in paperback right now because it, it's just something that that I really like reading, and I I think it's a great story. It talks uh, again about a. You know, person who didn't think they would come to save the world, but it turns out they kind of did. So, um, and that's available, um, as far as I know, from it is com for um, the offer we just mentioned. It so, is, uh, absolutely. That's one you might check out. And actually, they have almost all of the books. Um, there was a, a three book series and then a, another one, I think a prequel and, and one that came after that. So they have a whole bunch here with different readers. So, uh, I'd say that's one you may want to check out. Cool. Thanks, man. All right. So that's audiblepodcast.com slash Mac Geek Gab and uh, go check it out. We would appreciate it. They would appreciate it. And I'm vamping here looking for the email that John forwarded me that I think got sent to my spam folder. Deborah. Deborah. Deborah writes, please help with my problem of my IMAX 320 gig hard drive getting down to its to only 40 gigabytes left. Big problem because I do a lot of video editing of high-def video. I remember hearing about apps that slim down the hard drive and defragment it, all beyond regular repairing of disk permissions. That would also help with the general slowing down, sluggishness I would, I've been noticing. And that's a question. Uh, thanks for any help you can send my way. Um, all right. Uh, go, John. I'm going to start. I'm going to go off script here. <laughs> run. Run. Like a, well, I'm gonna like say a young it, boy in a field. Run. All right, whatever. Um, I would say the first thing to think about here is just in general for Deborah and everybody, including all of us, your general strategy for storing your operating system, your applications, and your data. I would say in this case, because it sounds like Deborah is using uh, her computer to the max here, in the, or, or no, she's generating huge monstrous files. Storing everything on the same drive is probably not a good long-term strategy short-term sure because the hard drives can get large but i would say in general you know in general if you're going to be storing multi hundred megabyte or gigabyte files you're going to want to think about moving away from the drive in your computer your drive in your computer should have the operating system and i think your key applications and probably a swap drive i guess is kind of built into that but past that so that's the first thing i offer now um i don't know if you have Anything to interject there before I go on to the, some of the uh, other parts of this? Or should I go? No, just keep going. Go, go, go. I'm going. All right. So there is a way. Now, if you do want to slim down, so I would say uh, 40 gigabytes on a 320 drive, that you got about 12% free. I, I would say, Dave, that's probably getting a bit tight yeah. in that there's not a lot of space, especially if she's dealing with large multi-gigabyte files. You're going to get fragmentation happening. 
in this case. Uh, maybe it's not 12%, maybe it's not 10, but but she, I, I think she's approaching a point where the drive is going to get really upset because there's not a lot of contiguous anything to do. You know, I, I've I've always been someone who has 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 preached the rule of keep 10% of your drive preach brother free. preach yeah but i'm having trouble getting up on that soapbox these days i mean let's think Ooh. about it let's say i mean she's got a 320 gig drive which means that 10% is 32 gigs of storage that right that pardon my french is a crap load of storage space i i, I well, just if can't. it's contiguous and and Even i think that's my point not, how fragmented could 32 gigs be and and i know the answer to that question it, trust me i've seen it but it could be yeah yes i guess it depends that, on the usage pattern uh, what what her pattern is I, yeah i guess that's true but if she's you doing a lot of video say. Then she's going to be storing large chunks and deleting large chunks, which presumably, though not certainly, means that that she's going to have big chunks available in in the uh, to the tune of gigabytes. Okay. Now, now here's the thing, though: if you're doing video you editing, well, if you're doing video editing, you probably should use a scratch drive that's external to the machine, regardless of how big the the drive in the machine yeah. is. Did I think I said that. I think you did. Yeah. But you're affirming it, which is. is yeah. Great. And plus, plus, you know, like you, uh, I, I, I did a John Braun there and I wasn't necessarily paying attention when you were talking. <laughs> I was sort of paying attention, but Are you I had lying that I don't pay attention. I had important things that were going on here. And, uh, <laughs> and so I wasn't necessarily paying strict attention. <laughs> Let's take this outside. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. Continue. I'm done. I'm good. But but really, the scratch drive is a good idea, John, and I'm really glad you mentioned it before so astutely. Um, and uh, and and oh, utilities. So we have some utilities here. So we have lots so I would of utilities. Just pass that um, one that I think is still out there. I checked it; that they're still there. Spring cleaning from Smith Micro does all sorts of little cleanup tasks. And I would say a poor man's version of any of these utilities is check your hard drive, sort by date, see what's old. You know, it may, it may take a while in some folders and all that. And, you know, look at the file size. So sort, uh, and actually, I think you can do an advanced search. If you do a find from the desktop, you can say, show me all the old files on my drive. Show me all the big files on my drive. Uh, but there are other things that do this. Well, Dave will get to one of these. But for, for things to clean up, so spring cleaning from Smith Micro, I did a gadget a while ago on something called XSlimmer, which, now here's the thing. It, all the Macs now are Intel. Older ones are Motorola. Of course, you realize they switched the processor over. There's something called a universal binary that has code for both the Intel and the PowerPC processor. Obviously, if you're running one computer, you don't need the other, and most computers are running the Intel. So, I would assume. So, why do you need that baggage from the Intel code? Well, there are a few things that get rid of this. XSlimmer is one. Um, they do have a feature, I think, called a slim install uh, which I think justifies the uh, extra price they charge. Or there's an open source thing called Monolingual, which will get rid of um, some other things, which I think XSlimmer does, which is there's language resources in your applications. You probably only speak one, two, three, four, I don't know. I'm going to assume most people, one, two, or maybe three languages. Do you really need language resources for all the hundreds of other languages that may be in an Apple app? It's nice, but if you don't need it, you don't need it. It's taking up space. So these utilities can get rid of that, too. And then, Dave, I think uh, 
you have another goodie, which I think uh, uh, a good one here that uh, eliminates some of the drudgery of going through the finder. Um, all right. Well, first of all, I'm going to say that that apps like Xlimmer and Monolingual scare the life out of me. Uh, I, I know that uh, that Pete says that he's used him when I've done talks uh, at Macworld and user groups and, and that sort of thing. I know every, lots of people there say, oh, yeah, use it. No problem. Taking a binary of an application and 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 running in there and just stripping out code that I have decided is not necessary uh, scares me. I, I, I know it's probably OK. It should. It should. It I should scare me. OK. I, it should be marked. Hey, I'm power PC code. You're never going to use me, but you never know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. So, yeah, before you run any of these, please, please make a time machine or a carbon copy cloner or yeah. super duper backup. Because, yeah, the, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And and also remember it you're, with monolingual and Xlimer, you're not just talking about third party apps. You're going into Apple apps and even the OS itself. So you're stripping out stuff that Apple has installed on your computer now. You could choose not to install a lot of the language files if you do a custom install. And I always choose to do right. that. So maybe there's, especially with monolingual, there's not much of a difference. But but in any event, take make a backup right. before you start messing with this stuff. Right. Now, well, I say also Xlimmer will, it does know about some apps where it's like, uh, the, I don't remember the term they used, but it was like excluded apps. It's like, okay. Okay. And I think a lot of them were Apple apps. It's like, okay, I know enough don't mess with this because it, it just something bad happens. So Xlimmer does have some intelligence, but yeah, always make a backup when you do stuff because yeah. it, it's geeky. It'll save space, which I think was the request. Uh, I don't know if it's the best way to save space. I think you know, our recommendation is pretty much, you know, get, get a nice external one terabyte drive. They're, they're, they're cheap now. I think they're under a hundred bucks. Oh, that's crazy. My goodness. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. So, but you want to, and, and this is good advice for anyone, not just for Deborah. Uh, and I do it myself on, on my machines pretty regularly, maybe once every three to six months, I go and I get Omni disc sweeper out. Now I believe back in December when I was on vacation, I saw somebody tweet about this. I may have missed the news, but I believe Omni disc sweeper is now free, uh, along with Omni web and Omni dictionary and a couple other Omni apps. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, the idea is you download this app, you point it at your drive and you let it go. And it takes maybe five or 10 minutes and then it comes up and it shows you all the folders at the top level of your hard drive organized by size of everything that that folder contains. And then you can dig down in and uh, when you get in, you know, if you click on, say, you know, your applications folder, well, then it shows you in there what each application is and any folders in there. It shows you what they are and you can dig and dig and dig. And when you find something and you say, holy moly, why is this two gigabyte log file sitting here? I don't need mm -hmm. this. You highlight it. And in the past, if you had paid for Omni Disk Sweeper, you had the option of deleting it. Well, now I believe it's available for all of us to use, whether we've paid for it or not. And you click the file and you hit del the delete button and bam, away it goes and you can delete folders. Now, of course, you have to be careful. Uh, you have to know what it is you're deleting. But uh, but this can be very handy uh, uh, for finding those things or at least just telling you, look, here's where a lot of your files are. And maybe you can archive some off or 
or whatever it is. So I, I love mm-hmm. Omni Disc Sweeper. It, it, it totally yep. caters to the ADD, you know, OCD guy that lives inside me and, and sometimes comes out. <laughs> what's next? Oh, I know what's next, I think. Uh, Jim? Are we talking about Jim? Well, uh, something else, maybe. Um, are we are we doing? Uh, are we, is it time to talk about our other sponsor already? Yeah, right, I, I I think it could be. How okay. are we on time here? Oh, you know, we got a lot of time. We got we got plenty well, of time. I don't. I'm I'm a busy guy. Hey, we're all here. The you listeners want to are watch here. Wives do on, on Dancing with the Stars. That's right. They bothered to show <laughs> well, up. Well, I'm reading. That's pretty poor, but. Yeah, so I, looks good. I, I did just see on Twitter when I was doing one of those important things that kept me from not being able to pay attention to you, John. Uh, nice, that, that Jackie Chang, our, our, our friend from Ars Technica, said uh, that one of the Dancing with the Stars, Stars judges said that Waz dances like a Teletubby going mad. So keep that. Ooh, uh, I think that's a good thing. Do you think? <laughs> uh, you don't yeah. want a team Teletubby. All right. Anyway, Go. Our, our, our second sponsor for this show is Bare Bones with BB Edit 9. Now, BB Edit 9 adds uh, a lot of cool features. Uh, of course, it has what they called, I believe, the Dave Hamilton feature in BB Edit 8.5, but it's gotten better. And that is that when you launch BB Edit it reloads all of the files that and windows and all of that stuff that had been open prior, be they local files, be they files from an FTP server. What they've done and made it better is it used to only reload those if you launched BB Edit directly. Now, if you click on a file on your drive that auto launches BB Edit, it loads that file and all the rest. So you're totally safe, which is awesome. BB Edit 9 has... Uh, text completion so as you're typing uh it will complete words from the system dictionary it will complete function names from the language that you're using uh it will also complete custom function names that you have defined elsewhere in that same file so it's adaptive totally seamless and as you start typing boom the list comes up you can ignore it if it, if you're typing something different otherwise you just choose it from the list and boom off you go it's got integration with mobile me so if you have a mobile me account you can keep your bb edit preferences and your application support folders synchronized across multiple machines which preserves your text factories and your clippings making it totally seamless to move from one computer to another modeless find and replace windows john i don't know how much you use Get bb out. edit i use it all the time what used to drive me crazy was going and opening up a find window and not being able to touch anything else. Now that find window can be buried behind 16 other windows if I want, and it's still open. It's still active. I do not lose the ability to move from window to window. So this is BB Edit 9 from Barebone Software. 125 bucks for a, uh, a straight out license, a $30 upgrade uh, and a $49 educational pricing. So all that from barebones.com or I believe even bbedit.com. So you pick, you choose, same software, two different places, barebones.com, bbedit.com. It's all the same place. So that's uh, that's that. And uh, I believe Jim? we're moving on. Uh, you know, Jim? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back to Deborah. Did we talk about really? the best ways to defragment drives for her? Did you mention Drive Genius? Um, no. So if, but if I did, I would recommend Drive Genius. So okay, yeah. If you, if you're getting low on free space, something like Drive Genius, I think is, yeah. Because you, again, you're approaching a point where things could 
get to be a mess. Right. It'll show you if it is a mess, and if it is, then it'll it'll take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even once you, if you, you know, use something like OmniDisweeper or even Monolingual or Xlimer, and you clear out a bunch of stuff, that might be a perfect time to go and defrag that drive yeah. to 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 get some contiguous and, free space. And you know, this is the, to mention. The, there have been those who, who have accused us of being partial to the Mac, but I got to say, Windows has a very nice defrag preview function and a defragger built in. Windows XP. That's true. Yeah, it's had it for so, a long time. Again, I think even I'm, 95 we're going it. on record saying that in some cases, Windows is better than hmm? Mac. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for example, uh, the first house that I bought, the down payment, the money came from uh, fixing hundreds and hundreds of Windows computers. <laughs> so it was fantastic. Okay, what's next? Okay. Uh, yeah, Jim. Let me find Jim here. Jim? Yeah. Jim. Hello. Jim says, I need some advice. I have to send my MacBook Pro Intel Core 2 Duo into Apple for factory repair. It's got a power problem. What should I do to prepare the computer? Should I take all my personal data off? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Should I wipe the hard drive? Should I do a whole disk encryption? As you would expect, I have lots of personal and company information on the computer, and I don't want to take the chance it could get compromised. I listen to the podcast every week and trust your advice. Well, there's your first problem, Jim. No. Wow. Uh, um. So, no, I would not encrypt the disk because in order to troubleshoot your drive, Apple is going to need to log. In many cases, they're going to need to log in. In fact, when you send your machine in for the repair, one of the things they ask you on the phone is what is the administrator password of the computer? Now, if you don't give it to them, they can set it. Anybody with access to your computer and the uh, boot DVD magic of, of Leopard. Disc. Yep. Yes. That's right. Well, not just the magic disc. We all oh, have it. Right? Yeah, the boot DVD. The boot DVD. Unless you have uh, open, uh, what do they call it now? Oh, open, an open firmware password. Yeah, or a, a, the, the, the SMC password or whatever it is, right? If you have that enabled, yeah. then nobody, and then they'll ship it back to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so... No, I would not try to hide the data that's on there and send it to them. It, you know, in my personal and I know, John, you're going to talk about this a little bit differently. In my oh, personal yeah. experience, I've always either left the data on there if I know it's something I, I will want to use when I get it back. Or if it's a machine that I'm sending to Apple Care before I say pass it from me to my wife or whatever, then I just wipe the drive and send it to them with a test account active and that's it. But uh, but I always make a backup and they tell you to do this because they may decide that your drive is going bad and they're going to replace it. And if they do, they're not going to mm. migrate your data from one to the other. Well, they so. will actually, I, I remember at least my past experience, yep. they will offer for a fee okay. to back up your drive. Huh. Right. When I had AppleCare wow. done on my machine, it was a number of years ago. They may not offer this. I'd be very interested in what you know people who have recently used AppleCare. I haven't for probably five or six years. But they said, oh, we have a backup and restore service. Would you like this? No. And maybe I could talk about what, what my spin on this is, Dave. Yeah. Are we cool? Yeah. yeah. So my spin is, if you are concerned about sensitive documents uh, of whatever sort they are in your hard drive. Here's what I would do. And here's what I did when I had a repair situation, when I had both a portable and a desktop with the same processor, this is the PowerBook G4 and I still have the G5. 
I would back up using carbon copy cloner the entire drive to an external firewire drive. Then I would wipe the drive on the machine I was shipping in for service. Um, you can use a security erase if you want or not. And basically, I was shipping in the machine and I set the password to password because it didn't matter because there was no data on there. And then I used that other drive and temporarily I would plug it into my G5. And because it was the same architecture, it would boot if you chose it as the boot drive and it would do the things it would do. Like, for example, on my portable typically is where I do my email. I do not do it on my desktop machine. I may access it through a web interface, but my portable is where I keep my email. Likewise, the, my desktop is where I keep other things. Right. So that was my approach to the problem. If you fully back up the drive and then you boot from another machine of the same architecture, once you get your machine back and it's all fixed up, you then take Carbon Copy Cloner, do the reverse operation from the drive that has the current data, uh, you hope, yep. back it up on your portable, and if everything goes well... Smooth. You see where I'm going. Yeah, and, and, totally and, smooth. and then that external drive could be either a full backup of the machine in that state. You put it away somewhere. So uh, I guess the complication here is that FireWire was, you know, the way to do this. Some of the Apple machines now do not have. Well, well the, the annoyance is they have FireWire 800, in which case you get a 400 adapter. The annoyance is when you have the machines that don't have that. Um, like the MacBook, right? They now do not right. have FireWire of any sort. So uh, I, I don't know if you can still do this through the network interface. That's just the question I'm throwing out. Huh. And I think, and I think I've, <laughs> I've gone through the whole gamut here of options here, but that, that's what I've done in the past, and it worked great. I, I was able to use my external drive, booted for my G5. Once the machine came back and it was fixed, restored my external drive to the machine, and it was like nothing ever changed. The, the only problem is it involved about five exchanges with overnight boxes with Apple, which well, of course. they got about as sick of that as I did. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were losing money by the second. Right. But huh. Apple Care. Yeah. So, anything yeah. else? Uh, I'll let that be a good plug for Apple Care. It, it really, in my mind, it totally is worth it uh, for uh, iMacs and for, you know, desktop machine or uh, sorry, laptop machines. It, not that I, you know, when I'd be with you, not the desktops. I, I kind of trust the desktop. I don't move my desktop around too much. I, I got a free iMac because uh, because Oops. of Apple Care. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and keep on buying it. Would you have mine. a power? What was a power thing? Or? I had power supply. You know, the problem is the desktop machines are more straightforward. The Mac Pros. The, the iMacs are basically laptops in a, you know, more permanent fixture. So there, there's a lot of stuff that's all soldered in together there. And I, w- I wouldn't mess with it. So uh, I, I get Apple Care for those two. It's cheap. It, you know, it's less than 200 bucks, I think, for an iMac. So yeah, two, three hundred bucks. So uh, where yeah. are we? Uh, we are on to Dave, I think. Right? Really? Yeah, we can, yeah, we can Think so? Dave. Sure. We might not go. be here next week, so, you know, we just keep on trucking here. Bonus time. Bonus time. That's right. We're borrowing from, from next week. We're paying Tuesday for hamburgers today. Wait a minute. It's the other way around. Wimpy. <laughs> Dave writes. Dave writes something. I know he writes. Uh, okay. I'm getting ready to upgrade my MacBook Pro, and I was wondering if I have any opinion 
if you have any opinion on one is it better to stick with four gigabytes of ram that is matched two gigabytes and two gigabytes or to max out with six gigabytes of unmatched ram four gig in one slot two gig in the other i use photoshop dvd pro final cut etc and do occasionally according to menu meters fill the pie chart as it were number two do the current crop of 320 gigabyte 7200 rpm laptop drives run too hot for macbook pros and or would i be better off staying with a five 100 gigabyte 5400 rpm drive space of either would be doable uh with my current situation so i'm fine from that aspect thanks okay uh let's talk about this ram thing john so in the old he's talking about matched versus unmatched in the old days and and uh-huh. I'll, I'll i'll link to this um th- there's a, a, a page back on wikipedia about dual channel architecture and uh and and so uh yeah uh, yeah yeah everything all right yeah okay uh about dual channel architecture that describes uh that talks about how we used to have to match our ram with one with with uh and i think the mac pros will still support this where you have chips of like size like speed uh and all even like manufacturer uh in the slots together and that allows them to both be accessed and addressed at the same time. The MacBook Pro does not require this. But, John, I think you did some research that says that it must yes, be better. It doesn't require. But so I found an article in the, the massive Apple knowledge base. And the title is MacBook Pro for maximum performance upgrade memory in match pairs. And they go into detail and they basically say if you put in RAM of the same size into both of the RAM slots, because for the most part, any MacBook or MacBook Pro has two RAM slots. If you put in the same size and the same spec, you will get, uh, as they pointed out, you will benefit from the system's dual channel memory architecture. What that means, I don't know. Well, I can suspect. But anyways, and then I looked elsewhere and I found a article at, where was it? Uh, MacRumors.com, which actually indicated that um, you're probably going to get a three to six percent speed increase if you use match versus unmatched. So, huh? You know, if you're working with big whopping images, like it sounds like, you know, Dave, maybe you may be spending, you know, less time sitting in front of your computer wondering what's going on if you get that three to six percent increase. So, uh, I guess got to weigh this: the amount of RAM versus the performance, Dave. Uh, so, to me. You know, on a on a modern MacBook, especially if you're a graphic professional, two gigs I would say is probably on the wimpy side. Yeah, yeah. Four I, gigs. Uh, I I've done work. I've been doing some work uh, recently at the day job with large images on the hundreds of megabytes, and I have a Dell that has two gigs of RAM, and it struggles a lot of times. I know when Photoshop is unhappy. I, I much uh, I wish I had four gigs of RAM. I think it would take care of a lot of problems. So two gigs to me is on the light side. If you have four gigs, um, uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, is size or speed better? I, I would say it, you know, two is, is not a good amount. I would say four, if you've got two twos, I would say that's ideal. I don't know. I would question the benefit of getting, you know, like a four and a two to get six if you get the decrease. I don't know your thoughts because I, I, I work 
you know, I, I work in a different world as, as you probably do as far as, you know, running graphics and audio and stuff like that. But what are your thoughts? Will you get matched for or unmatched for and two perhaps? Okay. Well, my MacBook pro, I am my, my limit like yours is matched up to four. Right. So right. I have no real choice there. If I want the maximum amount of Ram, it is four gigs and that's what it is. Uh, however, I if I had the opportunity to jump from matched four to unmatched six, I would do it in a heartbeat. Huh. OK, it, it, you know, and I don't run a lot of graphics apps. I don't do a whole lot of audio stuff, but I do wind up having, you know, six or eight apps open at any point throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I am constantly paging into swap, even with four gigs of RAM. And so to have, you know, 50% more RAM, absolutely. My machine, the three to 6%, let's assume it's 10% faster, right? With matched RAM. That speed is totally wiped away as soon as I page into, you know, more than a couple of hundred megs of swap. And routinely I'm up into the gigabytes uh, of swap. So I would I would happily do that. Now, by swap, I mean, we're we're saving out RAM images to the hard drive to make more room in physical RAM for other current applications. And of course, you know, saving and reading to and from the hard drive slows things down immensely. So that that 10 percent thing is totally wiped away and and understood that 10 percent is higher than any of the estimates that that we could find uh, anywhere online. So um, so I, I would for Dave. Based on my personal experience, I would absolutely say max out the RAM, forget about mm. matching, go run, you know, just do it. So, so that's, yeah. uh, so that's the yeah. RAM. That's my, my opinion on the RAM anyway. No, you know, I think I'd go with that. All right, cool. Okay. Unless you have well-defined tasks where you always know you're going to be doing the same thing and you, re- you need that, yeah. you know, like a server yeah. farm or something like that, where you know you're always going to be running the same thing, then yeah, maybe you want to get the... You yeah, know, that's true. Six percent boost. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah. If you're if you're spazzing out, then yeah, yeah, I'd go for more memory. Yeah, I agree. Can I can I throw you guys down another rat hole for a second? No, sure. No? Oh, like, okay. it wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> first tonight? No, not even tonight. Oh no, I, I was just curious. You mentioned Wikipedia a couple times, and uh, you know I've been looking on there and. Aside from that mention of John and the photography incident in France, uh, he's not on Wikipedia. No, in, in all seriousness, neither one of what? you guys are on Wikipedia, and that uh, the Mac Geek Cab isn't on there. Uh, what's up with that? You, you know, I've, I've actually thought about that before, Pete. That's a good question. I I don't I, I don't know enough about Wikipedia to create pages for us, and I from what I do know, I believe that that would be bad form anyway. Oh, okay. So, uh, so, you know, maybe there's somebody out there that, that could, uh, that, that knows more and, and is yeah. a Wikipedia author and, and might want to make some pages for us. We'd certainly appreciate it, but I, I can't go and, and do it myself. Nah. So it's, it's up to someone else. So. I, I'd go for our established channels. Yeah. The, if the listeners want to create a Wikipedia page for us, that'd be great. We'd be happy to fill it in with the, uh, the you know, the, the relevant info and all that good stuff. Uh, so, love you to know, the listeners, there. you know, speaking of listeners, I, I think, uh, would we want to mention how they could contact us otherwise? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, contact info. So since you can't yet find us on Wikipedia, you can find us. Email. Oh. You can email to feedback at macgeekgab.com, right? And then uh, you can call, and the phone number, John, is? 
geek, which is Dave. four four three three five. You can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, or Dave. maybe maybe you can, maybe you can't. I don't know. Um, you can visit us though at macgeekgab.com, which will bring you to the right page at TMO that has the right email address right there on it in the contact section. So it should be easy enough to find. And uh, and then of course we always like uh, reading the iTunes comments you folks leave. Mm. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Cool. And Twitter, John yeah. F. Braun, Dave Hamilton, Pilot Pete. There you go. There you go. That's us. Cool. Uh, all right. Let me get back to that. That was a, that was a good, uh, good save there, John, with the contact info. Mm. It's always good. Uh, you know, we did not finish Dave's question, though. He said 7,200 uh-huh. RPM uh, drive uh-huh. or a 5,400 5, RPM drive. And his specific question was, does the 7,200 run too hot for the MacBook Pro? Uh. The thing is, I don't... uh, Well, you can't know. Get the spec. Specs are usually accurate. I would look at the power draw. I think the power draw is probably... uh, Correlates very closely to the temperature of the drive in the number of watts. So look at the drive. It could draw more, draw less. Um, I think Pete has something to say about this. Uh, Well, I think you were experienced different performance as far as battery when you you put a new drive in, Pete, right? I did and uh but, but i don't know if it was did, power or or, or well what? now it's getting convoluted though because i called apple care and they want me to have the ram check because i do have third-party ram and they want that checked mm. on a test bench and and that kind of stuff but uh initially actually the drive it was a little sluggish i went from the uh 120 to, to the 320 and it was a little sluggish and i forget what i did and it, it's worked itself out it's it's been seamless ever since huh huh interesting yeah, I you know I would go. I've had seventy. I've gone out of my way to get the seventy two hundred RPM drive for laptops, John, and uh, and I've also had the fifty fours. For what I do, I have not noticed a significant speed delta between the two. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of times the capacity of the seventy two is usually less. Right, of course. So they'll offer a whopper of a forty fifty four hundred drive, and a, a slightly smaller seventy two. Uh, the thing is, uh, yeah, I guess you can't. Uh, I wouldn't automatically assume that a seventy two hundred drive is faster than a fifty four hundred. In all cases, you got the cache, you got the bus, you got all sorts of other things. So, you know, y- you got to dig in, you got to geek out, you got to get the spec for the drive, and just look at. I mean, the thing you want to look at is pretty much the platter to interface speed, which a lot of times they really try to obscure. I think because right. that's the true measure of drive performance. It's not the bus speed. You're never going to reach that. It's not the spindle speed. It's not the cash. It's, it's kind of a combination of them. And uh, uh, yeah, that's a good who point. We, who we like? Was it Tom? Is it, is it the guy? Tom's Tom? hardware. Yeah. Tom's hardware. Yeah. It's a good site for just generic. I think, you know, evaluation of drives and other mechanisms. Um, giving you the scoop. Cool. All right, where are we on time? Do we have time for another question, or should we get to the tips and follow? Oh, yeah, we're we're over an hour, so we should... Uh, uh, all I know is my hovercraft is full of eels. <laughs> I will not buy this record. <laughs> it is scratched. Uh, okay, go. Let's, go, let's go to the follow-ups here. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me get Quickly. to the right spot here. So, rawr, Brent, rawr. Brent, right, we you? love Brent, Mr. Truck Lover. Go. Oh, hey, yeah. John and Dave, this is Truck Lover. I'm following up on the latest podcast that I'm currently listening to, and I sometimes find myself wanting to just, like, scream in my iPod when I'm like, I know the answer. Here it is. 
Well, uh, recently a caller, a switcher, had a question about FAT32 and NTFS, and I immediately thought of MacFuse. I have used it before, and I want to follow up on that. Uh, I tried to take like a 7-gigabyte uh, file, a dual-layer DVD file, and write it to my FAT32 flash drive. And I'm like, why, why won't it transfer to the, to the flash drive? Why does it keep failing? So after a quick Google search, I found out that the actual FAT32 file system is not able to have a file, a single file larger than four gigabytes. There's a file limitation of that that just cannot be bypassed. So I installed MacFuse on my computer to to uh, change the file system format of my flash flash drive to NTFS that allowed me to take uh, these uh, disk images and write to this flash drive. I'm like, oh, great, problem solved, right? I go over to my friend's house to uh, put the disk image file on his computer, and let alone his Mac cannot read the NTFS file system without him as well installing MacFuse. I'm like, well... That's great. It's kind of a headache, and so it got me by for that that quick time. But I actually changed back to using FAT32 using Disk Utility for this flash drive. It also works with USB drives, firewall drives, and things like that. So I just wanted to note that uh, in follow up in response to the uh, the the latest podcast with the switcher that had that question. Anyway, thanks again. Uh, love the show. This is where you cut me off. Cool. Thanks, Brent. That's uh, that's great to know. And uh, and I think you confirmed that, John, right? Dude, MacFuse rocks. So number one, code.google.com slash P slash MacFuse. And, and this is a framework for building uh, file systems uh, on the Mac or I think on the platforms, but at least on the Mac. And the cool part is that, yes, they have an NTFS file system. And, and what we found, I, I don't know if it was mentioned, but if you go into disutility, um, we, we, we touched on this in the last episode, but if you have Mac views and the, uh, NTFS 3G extension installed, disutility knows how to format. And, and that's just too cool. I think that, that, that they get to that level. So, but, but it has a whole bunch of other file systems. There's a SSH file system, uh, a YouTube file system, a spotlight file system, loopback. They have a whole bunch of things. And I think I'm going to probably write up a little article about this, but uh, cool. it's a great way to expand the capabilities of the Mac. Um, you know, you got to be careful, a little careful because they have an experimental version that is fast, but may not work right. And then a stable version, which is a little bit slower when I was doing some uh, benchmarking, but Mac views link to it. It, it, it's a, uh, definitely cool piece of software cool uh it neil also wrote in and said that uh paragon has an ntfs uh. file system support for mac os 10 it is not free it is 39 bucks but of course comes with you know support and all of that that you don't get with mac views it loads up as a preference pane and puts itself into the os in the same way that mac views does and you know even has support in the disk in disk utility so you can format ntfs for there uh and uh, he says nice. he's been using version six ever since he switched to the mac and uses it at his job fantastic so thank wow. you neil and that so there, there's two options mac views if you're you know, doing it for adventurous. Free. Yeah. Adventurous and Paragon. If you need, you know, stable supported uh, software 
to to do it. One other th- little follow up before we before we move out of here, John. Um, last week we talked about uncompressing RAR files, R A R files. Oh yeah, and we didn't have a stable solution, or at least no, a, non, a non-terminal solution, solution. Lame. That's right. We had a lame solution for our listener. <laughs> but thankfully, you folks had some non-lame solutions. And what our listener was looking for was the ability to look through these RAR files and pick out or these RAR archives, I should say, and pick out the files that uh, he or she wanted to extract. Steve and Matt both wrote in, among many others, uh, that there are two pieces of software. One is called Zipeg, Z-I-P-E-G dot com, and it is available for free and will do exactly what uh, what our listener was looking for. And Matt wrote in about better zip at at, at Mac it better dot com, M-A-C-I-T-B-E-T-T-E-R. And that's 20 bucks or 1995 U.S. Uh, both will do what uh, what you're looking for. You might like one interface better than the other, and you might find that better zip is worth uh, is better for 20 bucks or maybe Zypeg does what you need. So that's our, uh, that's our RAR support. And uh, I believe it's time to uh, let the band in out of the, uh, the, no the freezing cold. snowstorm. That's now, right. did you really get inches? Oh yeah. We probably got six inches today, Pete. That's oh my right. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We got two waves. We got, we had uh, two or three inches this morning. They did not cancel school. They actually let school out 12 early. minutes early. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. What? They really went out of their way. Is it really worth disrupting I, the I system that much for 12 minutes? What work longer? I, and the yeah, bus drivers were probably all worked. freaking out. And oh, Well, come on. the thing was, we were supposed to get another wave. Was it wave. icing up? Or? We were supposed to get another yeah. wave starting at 4 p.m. Uh, it actually okay. showed up at about 2.30. Uh, but but if, if it had come at 4 p.m., that 10 or 15 minutes might have made it better on the buses. Yep, yep. Uh, but it did. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Don't they chain your buses? They got to chain them. Come on. They will. I don't think they did today, though. No, they just chain the kids on the buses. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, that's not our district. Well, that's, that's a given. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. What's wrong with you people? Uh, all right. Well, we talked about how to contact us. Feedback at MacGeekEb.com. 206-666-GEEK, which is... Anyone? 4335. There we are. Thank you. Uh, iPhonealley.com is where Michael Johnston does Yo. his thing when he's not doing our What's thing. What's his thing, man? His, uh, he publishes a website. He does a podcast. He gets some great guests. Waz, oh. of course, was oh, a so guest on, on his podcast. Oh. And, uh, yeah, he's dancing tonight, right? He was rocking it, man. Yeah, that's right. Cashfly.com is where all of the bandwidth for the Mac Geek Gab comes from. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, PDF Pen Pro 4 from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and of course, your one free book from audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. iTunes comments. We love those. And I think we can uh, we can go. Hopefully, we'll, we'll find a way to do something next week, but uh, I don't want to make any promises. Something. Yeah, I got so. the juice. I got the bandwidth, I think, for the most part. Yeah. You know what we got to do is we got to figure out. I got to teach you how to do a double ender so you can record your end and I can record mine and then we can stitch them together. Huh? Yeah. That way I don't have to record you over Skype and we don't have to worry as much about quality. Yeah. It's a lot but of work. We're all, we're all about quality, man. Yeah. You're going yeah. to South by Southwest, right? South by Southwest next week. If you're going down, uh, you know, Twitter me or email me. But and, don't get uh, caught. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs>